to the third episode of College Sports Today here on WLRZ 99.3 FM. I'm your host, Hamilton Neal. We again thank you for joining us this week here on the show. Hope everyone's had a great week thus far. We've got a very busy weekend coming up here in sports. We're going to talk all about what's happened over the last seven days and, again, get you set for what we have coming up in the days ahead as well. Here in tonight's show, we're going to be talking about college football with the college football playoff top 25 rankings. We'll talk about the third edition of those to start things off. We'll go over some games to watch in college football for week 12 of the regular season. We'll talk college basketball with some news. We'll talk about some scores from the last week. And then we'll wrap up with Lenore Ryan Sports. We'll talk about LR football. The Bears are in the playoffs. They'll be taking on Bowie State on Saturday. We'll be talking about Lenore Ryan men's and women's basketball. We'll also be talking about Bears swimming as well. So let's jump into the show here tonight. Again, we're going to start things off with college football and the college football playoff top 25 rankings, the third edition of the season from the CFP committee. The top seven for this week is unchanged. Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Michigan, and Michigan State. One through seven, unchanged from last week. Georgia at 10 and 0 overall. Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, all at 9 and 1. Cincinnati is 10 and 0 overall. Michigan and Michigan State, also 9 and 1 overall. 8, 9, and 10 are Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and Wake Forest. Those three teams as well are all 9 and 1 on the season. So that is 1 through 10 of the CFP Top 25. 11 through 20, you've got Baylor, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, BYU, Wisconsin, Texas, A&M, Iowa, Pittsburgh, San Diego State, and NC State. Baylor and Ole Miss are 8-2. Oklahoma is 9-1 overall. BYU sits at 8-2 overall. Wisconsin and Texas A&M are 7-3. Iowa and Pitt, both 8-2 overall. San Diego State, 9-1 on the year. NC State, at 7-3 overall. And 21-25, through 25, you have Arkansas at 7-3, undefeated Texas San Antonio at 10-0, Utah at 7-3, Houston at 9-1 from the American Athletic Conference, and Mississippi State at 6-4. That is the complete college football playoff top 25 ranking. Again, the third of the season. And like we mentioned at the top, no changes from last week. Georgia undefeated there at the top. They've been rolling all season long. You look at Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, you just go down the line. All of these teams have been able to hold things down. They've been able to get win after win every week and keep their position firm. And when you look at that top four right now, which is really what most people care about when these CFP rankings come out, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, they feel that those are the four best teams in the country right now. And I don't disagree with them. I I feel that those four are the best four right now. You got an undefe- you got an undefeated Cincinnati team there at 10-0. I know some people are going to say, wait a minute, why aren't they in the top four? They're undefeated. We talk talked about this a few weeks ago. The strength of schedule, the lack of a strength of schedule for Cincinnati is really hurting them in the fact that they're outside that top four right now. Now, if one of those teams takes a loss, a second loss, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, you're going to see Cincinnati jump into that top four, but it's going to take one of those teams losing another game for them to get in. And the rest of the way, I don't know if that's going to happen because there's a lot of different scenarios here. Now, you look at Georgia-Alabama. If those two are to play in the SEC championship game and Alabama wins and they're a one-loss team 
and Georgia's a one-loss team, both are in the college football playoff. Now, if Georgia beats Alabama and Alabama is a two-loss non-conference champion and Cincinnati is an undefeated conference champion and say Oregon and Ohio State both win their conferences with one loss, then you would probably see Cincinnati jump in as opposed to Alabama. But again, there's so many scenarios that could play out. There's tons of one-loss teams, even again, outside the top four, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest. Oklahoma took their first loss of the season this past week to Baylor. They do not sit in a good position right now because they're only at number 13 in the rankings here. They're going to have to really work their way back up. Baylor has that head-to-head. Even though they're a two-loss team, they got that head-to-head. They have that edge at this point. We've seen throughout the years, crazy things happen at the end of the season and teams make that push to get in. So again, we'll see. It's going to be a very interesting end to the college football season coming up. And there's just a few weeks left of the regular season. This is week 12, this upcoming week. And now we're going to talk about some games to watch in college football. And again, as we do every week, we're going to go over four games that you should be watching. So we're going to start with second-ranked Alabama. They are taking on number 21, Arkansas. Last week, Alabama played out of conference where they got a blowout win over New Mexico State by a score of 59-3. to Quarterback Bryce Young threw for 270 yards and five touchdowns on 21 of 23 attempts. Running back Brian Robinson Jr. rushed for 99 yards and two touchdowns on nine carries. Wide receiver Jamison Williams had a monster game, recording 158 yards and three touchdowns on six receptions. Arkansas last week defeated LSU by score of 16 to 13. Quarterback KJ Jefferson threw for 142 yards and one touchdown in the win. Dominique Johnson recorded 40 yards rushing and 40 yards receiving. The Razorbacks defense also forced three LSU turnovers. So again, you got a very interesting matchup here between two teams that are playing extremely well right now. We talked about Alabama at nine and one overall. Arkansas took some losses there early in the season, but they're sitting at seven and three. They're back into the rankings. I really love the way that this team is playing. That was not a pretty game last week against LSU, but they showed a lot of toughness. They were able to grit that win out. KJ Jefferson is a steady quarterback, 142 yards and a touchdown. Those numbers are not going to blow you away, but there's other areas of this football team that are going to allow them to get the job done. We mentioned Dominique Johnson, 40 yards rushing, 40 yards receiving. You look at the versatility that he brings to the table for this team and the way they can split him out wide, the way they can put him in the backfield. He's going to be an X factor in this game. And the Alabama defense, which has been playing extremely well over the last couple of weeks, they're definitely going to have to key in on him because I think offensively, Arkansas is going to do a lot of different things moving him around. And it will be up to KJ Jefferson at QB to get him involved, just like he did last week, 40 yards rushing, 40 yards receiving. On the Alabama side of things, you know, not much to take away from that win over New Mexico State. You see those bye games every year for teams in the power conferences. The SEC has them every single year. And Alabama, they they got that win easily. Bryce Young, 270 and five touchdowns on 21 of 23 attempts. Again, you look at all those stats, they're gaudy stats. They scored points like mad in that game. And again, because it's against a team in New Mexico State, outside the Power Five. Again, basically a bye game for Alabama. Not much to take away, but it's good preparation. Every every week that you can get reps, every week that you can get time out there on the field and build chemistry, that is huge because there's so many new faces for this Alabama team this year. Bryce Young at quarterback, the wide receivers, John Mechie, Jamison Williams, those guys have 
stepped up into a bigger role this year. And Brian Robinson Jr. filling in for Najee Harris has had a great season. Just under 100 yards there, two TDs in that game, as we mentioned. So Alabama taking on Arkansas. Definitely look for Alabama to get this win. Arkansas is a very good football team. They're very sound. I like what they have, and I like what they're doing. But Alabama is Alabama, right? We know the type of talent that they have. Every single week, they bring it. So Alabama and Arkansas matching up there. Number three, Oregon will take on number 23, Utah. Oregon recorded a two-touchdown win last week over Washington State, 38-24. to Quarterback Anthony Brown threw for 135 yards and a touchdown while rushing for 123 yards and another score. Johnny Johnson III was the Ducks' leading receiver, catching three passes for 43 yards. Utah got a win at Arizona last Saturday, 38-29. to Quarterback Cameron Rising threw for 294 yards and two touchdowns. TJ Pledger had a huge game on the ground for the Utes, rushing for 119 yards and two touchdowns. Much like Alabama and Arkansas, this is going to be an interesting game. You've got a 9-1 team against a 7-3 team. A Utah team that got a win there against Arizona, not by a lot. That's not a very good Arizona team, but they have momentum. They're riding a streak. They feel good about themselves, and that's all you need coming into a game against a team like this in Oregon. And Oregon, since that loss to Stanford, they have responded extremely well. They're coming out. They're playing very good football on both sides. Anthony Brown, 135 yards passing, 123 yards rushing. It's so tough to stop him if you're a defense because he can throw it. He can throw it very well, but he also has that dual threat ability to rush the football, to escape outside the pocket, to execute on the designed runs. This is a player that has been very underrated in college football this season. As far as the quarterbacks are concerned, Anthony Brown has been very underrated, but he has been so consistent from week to week, and I'm excited to see what he continues to provide for this team. On the other side, Cameron Rising playing very well for Utah as well, just under 300 yards and two TDs in that win against the Arizona Wildcats. Look for a very tight, close game here. I know there's a big disparity in the ranks for these teams, Oregon number three, Utah number 23, but Kyle Winningham gets those guys ready over at Utah. I think they're going to I think they're going to compete. I think they're really going to compete here in this game. I think it'll be close in the fourth quarter. Again, we're just going to have to wait and see. Oregon has been so good this season, and they're continuing to play sound football every single week. So that's what you have to watch in Oregon. So that's what you have to watch in the game with Oregon and Utah, again, the third and 23rd ranked teams in the country. Going over to the Big Ten, we have a huge top 10 matchup between number three, Ohio State, and number seven, Michigan State. Last week, the Buckeyes got a dominant 59-31 to win over Purdue at home. Quarterback C.J. Stroud passed for five touchdowns on 361 yards through the air. Running back Mion Williams rushed for 117 yards on 14 carries. Two receivers went over 100 yards for the Buckeyes. Jackson Smith and Jigba caught nine passes for one 139 yards and one touchdown, while Garrett Wilson grabbed 10 passes for 126 yards and three touchdowns. Michigan State, on the other hand, defeated Maryland 40-21 last Saturday. Quarterback Peyton Thorne completed 22 of 30 passes for 287 yards and four touchdowns. Jaden Reed was his favorite receiver, catching eight passes for 114 yards and two touchdowns. When you look at these two teams and how they match up, Ohio State, the way that they've been rolling offensively, they put up 59 points in that game against Purdue. And that was not a surprise. 
to me at all. I don't think it was a surprise to many because the way that they played over the last couple of weeks before that, especially the game against Nebraska, we knew that Ryan Day would get things going with this offense. We knew that C.J. Stroud would have a big game against the Boilermakers, and he did. Five TDs, 361 through the air, and getting two receivers over 100 yards. Smith and Jigbo with 139, Garrett Wilson with 126 and three touchdowns. Ohio State really got it going last week. That game last week, I think, was a big turning point in their season because they know they didn't play up to the standard against Nebraska, even though they got that win. They came back and gave a much better performance there against Purdue. Michigan State's going to have their hands full with this offense. Michigan State can score the football. They do have some playmakers on that offense. Jaden Reed, especially a wide receiver, I really like him. It'll come down to Peyton Thorne, and if he can be consistent and not turn the football over, because there's been some games this season where he has been prone to throwing an interception or two. Against Maryland there, he had one, did throw four TDs, was very, very strong in that game. But this is not Maryland they're playing this week. This is Ohio State and a defense that is starting to play a little bit better. They're still giving up points, game in and game out, and they're bending, but they're not breaking. And we talked about that last week with Ohio State. Every week we talk about them. We talk about this defense giving up something, but not giving up too much where Ohio State's going to lose the football game. So for Michigan State, it's going to come down to getting a couple of stops here and there on their defense. And then offensively, Peyton Thorne and Jaden Reed and all of those guys connecting and making plays to try to keep this game close. I like Ohio State coming into this game. But Michigan State is ranked 7th. Mel Tucker has had a really great season coaching these guys up. So we'll see. It's going to be a very interesting matchup. And finally, number 5 Cincinnati taking on SMU. The Bearcats defeated South Florida 45-28 last Friday. Their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, passed for 304 yards and two touchdowns through the air while rushing for 65 yards on the ground. SMU blew past UCF last week, winning 55-28 at home. Quarterback Tanner Mordecai threw for 377 yards and three touchdowns. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth rush for 97 yards on 14 carries. Trey Siggers notched three scores on the ground as well, gaining 93 yards on 11 carries. Again, we talked about the Cincinnati team earlier being 10-0, still outside the CFP top four. This is a huge game for them against an SMU team who is one of the stronger in the American Athletic Conference. We talked about the American not being too strong of a league. You have Houston, who's ranked number 24 right now. You got this SMU team who has had a very consistent season all the way through. This is an opportunity to get a good win. Is it going to move the needle much for Cincinnati as far as like on their resume? Not too much because this is not a top 25 team in SMU. They've been reeling a little bit. They've been a little inconsistent over the last couple of weeks, even though they did get back on track there against UCF winning that game big. You know, it's important just for Cincinnati to continue to stack wins. The only chance they have of getting in the college football playoff is if they're undefeated. They got to run the table and be an undefeated football team going in to that selection day. And this game against SMU, very, very important. It's one of the stronger teams that they faced all season in the conference. And again, that's an SMU team that can score. Oklahoma transfer, Tanner Mordecai, very consistent at quarterback, had a big game last week. He's going to be the key if they want to upset to spread the football around to the playmakers on the outside, but also have that balance with Bentley the fourth and Siggers in the run game. Those two really helped them to that big win last week. So balance between Tanner Mordecai passing and Ulysses Bentley the fourth, Trey Siggers on the ground, that's going to be huge for SMU if they want to upset. So number five Cincinnati taking on SMU there in American Athletic Conference play. So that is what's going on with college football. A lot of games coming up in week 12 that you want to watch. Those are some of the ones that I feel are going to be very entertaining, very exciting to watch. So now let's go over into our college basketball segment. We'll 
talk some news with men's college basketball first before we get to some scores. And first, we're going to be talking about Michigan men's basketball coach Juwan Howard. He has agreed to a five-year contract extension that will run through the 2025-2026 season, the school announced on Tuesday. The Wolverines are 42-17 and overall with an Elite Eight appearance since Howard took over the program in 2019. Just a really great move for Michigan and for Juwan Howard overall. And I love where this team is at currently, and I love where this team is going into the future. Juwan Howard and his staff have done outstanding recruiting, and they are one of the best at player development. When you look at the players that they've been able to bring in, Hunter Dickinson in 2020 was one of the best freshmen in the country last year, was arguably the best freshman in the country last year. He's back for a sophomore season. He's one of the best at his position, one of the best overall in the nation. You look at the 2021 class they're bringing in with guys like Caleb Houston, who is a five-star small forward. You just look at the way that they've been able to operate. Like since John Beeline left and that coaching position came open, a lot of people wondered, is this team going to be able to be at, is this team going to stay at that same level? Are they going to be one of the best year in and year out like they were under John Beeline? And the answer is yes. In 2019, they had an okay season. They were a good, solid basketball team. But then they took it to another level in 2020 and made it to the Elite Eight and were one of the best teams in the country all season long. This year, they're doing it again. They're the number four team in the country right now. They're one of the favorites to go all the way and compete for a national championship. And Juwan Howard is that guy that's going to keep them at that elite level because he is what Michigan basketball is all about. Played for Michigan as part of the Fab Five back in the day. He's coming back now and building an incredible program here at Michigan. And again, has agreed to a five-year contract extension that will run through the 2025-2026 season. Texas Tech has landed 2022 four-star point guard Richard Isaacs Jr. The six-foot-one floor general committed to the Red Raiders earlier this fall, then decommitted on November 3rd, but now is back on board. He's ranked 68th nationally and 9th at the point guard position, according to 247 Sports. The hallmark of his game is three-point shooting. When you're breaking down tape of Richard Isaacs and when you're watching the things that he does well, what jumps off the film right away is his ability to shoot the three-point shot. Incredible range from behind the arc, a pure score of the basketball, a great offensive talent overall. This is a player that was once ranked in the top 25 in the class of 2022. His ranking has dropped considerably over the last year or so. To me, though, it's just a number. That ranking is just a number, especially when you get into college. When you get on a college campus, the number that you had beside your name coming out of high school does not matter at all. you got to prove once again that you have what it takes to play at that college level. And you got to come in put your head down and work hard every single day on a consistent basis. So to me, the ranking doesn't really matter that much. What I'm looking at is what he brings on offense, what he brings on defense, what he brings hustling, play in and play out, the effort. That's what I look at when I'm scouting prospects. And I've scouted prospects throughout high school basketball and college basketball for about three years now. And he's one of the best shooters that I've seen. He's one of the best offensive talents that I've seen at that position. So when we're talking about point guard, he has that ability to pass it. He can distribute it. But he's a guy that really loves to get his own. He's really a guy that loves to score. He loves to shoot the ball from behind the three-point line, and he knocks down most of them. You're not going to see him miss many shots. And this is a Texas Tech program that needs an infusion of offense. They've really been a defensive type of team, even going back to when Chris Beard was coach, even what they're doing right now is predicated on defense, and they need a wave of offense. And they're getting some guys coming in 
that can provide that, and Richard Isaacs is one of them. So great to get him back on board because he committed, then he decommitted, then he was kind of looking at his options again, and then we were all wondering what's next for him. And I would just announce that he's back on board with Texas Tech. Huge land for the Red Raiders, one of the best shooters in the class of 2022. To me, one of the best players in the class in Richard Isaacs Jr. at the point guard position. So now let's talk about some top 25 scores in men's college basketball over the last week or so. We've had a lot of really big games, a lot of exciting matchups, and we're going to go back and start with the game on Friday, November the 12th, number two UCLA and number five Villanova. Really entertaining game, really exciting all the way through. UCLA getting the win though, 86 to 77. Leading UCLA was none other than Johnny Juzang, 25 points and eight rebounds. Jaime Jaquez had 21 points. Jules Bernard added 16. Tiger Campbell contributed 14 for the Bruins. Villanova was led by Jermaine Samuels, who had 20 points on the game. Really, one of the big factors here in UCLA getting this win was consistent rebounding. UCLA out rebounded Villanova 46 to 32, plus 14 on the glass. When you have the ability to rebound and out-rebound a team like that, that's going to lead to extra possessions. That's going to lead to more opportunities to score for guys like Johnny Juzang, for guys like Jaime Hawkins who can fill it up. This UCLA team is complete across the board, and they just had a little bit more there than Villanova on Friday night. Villanova is a really strong team. They're so fundamental. They're so sound. They're so well coached by Jay Wright. But UCLA just has a little bit more talent. UCLA has a little bit more punch offensively. And it's not just Johnny Juzang. Like, we talk about Johnny Juzang all the time as their best player, and rightfully so, because he is. But Bernard, Campbell, Jaime Hawkes, Cody Riley, the nights that he gets it going. UCLA, they probably have the most talented offensive team in the entire country. Even over Gonzaga, who's the number one team. Drew Timmy, Shet Holmgren, what they bring in the post. Rasir Bolton, Andrew Nemhard, guys like that in the backcourt. But UCLA, there's just an explosive element about this team that makes them so hard to stop. And that's why they were able to get that win over Villanova, 86-77. They just had a little bit more there late. Now let's go over to Saturday, where we had the top-ranked team in the country, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, taking on number eight, Texas. 86-74, Gonzaga got the win. Drew Timmy had a monster game for the Bulldogs, 37 points to go along with seven rebounds. Rasir Bolton added 16. Anton Watson had 10 as well. Leading Texas was Timmy Allen with 18 points and six rebounds. Marcus Carr had 11 for the Longhorns as well. Again, just like we talked about with UCLA and Villanova, Gonzaga just had a little bit more there late, and it was just too much Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy is the best player in college basketball, and he showed it in that game against Texas. 37 points and 7 rebounds. This Gonzaga team usually doesn't have to have that type of performance from Drew Timmy. He can have those big games, but they're usually not relying on him to have a 37-7 and seven game because they're so complete, they're so deep across the board. But that was a game where other players were struggling, where other players were not scoring at that consistent clip, where Shet Holmgren wasn't getting things going as much. And Drew Timmy took it upon himself to win that game for Gonzaga. He won that game for them. If he doesn't have that type of game, Gonzaga does not win that game in my opinion because it was very close throughout. And Texas had it going there. Two transfers for the Longhorns, Timmy Allen and Marcus Carr, really had good games. It was very even across the board in that game. If you look at the statistics, it was just Drew Timmy being the best player on the floor and being the best player in college basketball. Again, 37 points and seven rebounds in that win for Gonzaga. Monday, the 15th, Marquette gets a one-point upset win over number 10, Illinois, 67-66. to Leading Marquette was Daryl Morsell. He had 21 points. Justin Lewis added 17. Tyler Collick had 12 as well. For Illinois, Trent Frazier, 23 points, five rebounds, and two assists. What really plagued them, though, in this game were two things. Poor shooting from the floor, 
25 of 66, only 37.9%, and 26 turnovers in a Division I college basketball game, in any basketball game. If you turn it over 26 times, your chances of winning are very slim. Your chances of winning are not very good. Illinois still only lost by one despite playing that poorly offensively. So you give credit to their defense and what they were able to do late, getting some stops. They just didn't get enough to win that game. And Daryl Morsell, the transfer from Maryland, had a really consistent game throughout. They need that type of player in the backcourt, that stabilizing force in the backcourt. And Daryl Morsell is that guy. He was a really good player at Maryland. He's been really good so far at Marquette. Justin Lewis in the post, one of the best sophomores in the country. I think one of the most underrated sophomores in the country. Just a really good player, very fundamental inside. I think that balance between Morsell and Lewis and the way those guys play off each other, going to be huge for Shaka Smart, going to be huge for this Marquette team. Again, for Illinois, just got to get back to the drawing board, see what they can do to fix those turnovers, see what they can do to get Kofi Coburn going, see what they can do to get Andre Curbelo at point guard in the backcourt going as well. Trent Frazier had a really good game there. I think he'll keep it up. I think he'll keep playing very good basketball. But just getting some of the other stars on this team going and all of them playing well together, that's going to be the most important thing for Illinois. So again, Marquette winning that game over the Fighting Illini, 67-66. to Going over to Tuesday, we have three games to talk about here. Number 15, Houston, 67-47 over Virginia. Leading the Cougars was Marcus Sasser. He had 19 points. Kyler Edwards complimented very well, adding 18 on the game. For Virginia, Armand Franklin was the only player in double figures with 11 points. Houston forced 17 Virginia turnovers, and they held the Cavaliers to only 15 of 43 shooting from the floor. And again, just like we talked about on last week's show, when we talked about Virginia dropping a game to Navy, Houston really pressed them here in this game, really forced them to do things that they didn't want to do. 15 of 43 shooting from the floor, that's not going to win you a basketball game. 17 turnovers, very uncharacteristic of a Tony Bennett coach team. And the inability to force turnovers on the defensive end is also an uncharacteristic thing for a team like Virginia, who their whole program is predicated on defense and defensive effort. And they're not playing bad on defense right now. They're just not doing well enough. They're not forcing enough turnovers. They're not playing that pack line well enough like we've seen it in the past. And that's why they've dropped these first couple of games on the season is because they haven't had enough offensive punch. Jaden Gardner, Kihei Clark struggled in this game. Armand Franklin, the only player in double figures, we mentioned he had 11 points, just not enough across the board. Houston, very fundamental team, very solid performance offensively, elite performance there on defense. Seton Hall, 67 to 65 over number four, Michigan. Big upset here for Seton Hall. Jared Roden led the way with 16 points. Bryce Aiken and Trey Jackson added 13 points for Michigan. Hunter Dickinson had 18 points to lead the Wolverines. One thing that really hurt them in this game was 3 of 15 shooting from three-point range. And again, they fall 67 to 65. The other upset from Tuesday night was BYU blowing out number 12 Oregon 81 to 49. Alex Barcelo had 25 points to lead BYU. Tejon Lucas had 12 points as well. Eric Williams Jr. led the Oregon Ducks with 12 points on the game. BYU now 4-0 on the season. Again, just a huge night of upsets there in college basketball with Seton Hall and BYU getting those wins. Michigan only 3-15 from three-point range. We talked about the fact that Hunter Dickinson had 18 points. That's what we expect from him. We expect him to come out and have a dominant game scoring, have a good game on the glass, night in and night out. But the three-point shooting, again, just not good enough. Despite that, like we talked about with Illinois, despite all the things that they struggled with, still had a chance to win their late, weren't able to do that. Oregon never had a chance against BYU. 
Alex Barcelo is one of the most underrated point guards in college basketball. 25 points, the way that he brings it for them game in and game out. I just love what he brings to the table. Tejon Lucas is a very good complimentary player for that team and is a great sidekick to a guy like Alex Barcelo. And again, going to be very interesting to see what they can do moving forward. Got to look at them now as a team to watch in that West Coast Conference. You got Gonzaga there, and they're obviously the favorite, but BYU is going to have a really outstanding basketball team. And again, already 4-0 on the season. Our final game from the last week that we want to let you know about is from Wednesday, November 17th. George Mason upsetting number 20 Maryland, 71-66. Deshaun Schwartz, 24 points to lead the way for George Mason. Devon Cooper had 16. Devontae Gaines added 14. For Maryland, Dante Scott had 18. And Eric Ayala added 17. Again, just like we talked about with BYU, very good George Mason team. 4-0 on the year. You got a couple of transfers to note there. Deshaun Schwartz coming over from Colorado. Devontae Gaines coming over from Tennessee. Those two guys are going to play very well with each other. Schwartz, very much a two-guard, very explosive scorer. We saw he went off in this game, played very well from start to finish. Devontae Gaines at Tennessee, I don't think was ever fully comfortable in that system with Rick Barnes. And now he's come over to a team that has really utilized him well at that wing position. I think those two are going to be stars for George Mason this year. Look at Devon Cooper as well, second in scoring there again with 16, as we mentioned. Huge upsets all across the board in college basketball. Again, we talked about Seton Hall, BYU, George Mason, Marquette, all beating top 25 teams. So that is a look at men's college basketball. Now going over to women's college basketball, we're going to start with some news here as well and start by talking about UConn Huskies freshman Sailor Poffenbarger. She has announced that she is transferring from the program. The six foot two guard joined the Huskies last season after graduating high school early. She appeared in 12 games, scoring six points and grabbing four rebounds. The former five-star recruit did not find consistent playing time last season and her chances of playing a major role this season appeared very slim. She did not appear in the opening game against Arkansas. She was probably not going to play in very many games had she stayed on with this UConn team. This is something that we see here and there with UConn. They land an elite freshman. They land a five-star recruit. And over that first year or two, they're not getting that playing time. And they're not getting the minutes. They want to go somewhere where they will have an opportunity to contribute, where they'll have an opportunity to make impact. And for Sailor Poffenbarger, that was not at UConn. And especially this season, it wasn't going to happen because this team is so deep across the board. You know, they have 12, 13 players that they can utilize. Will Gino Oriama use all those players? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter how many players he has. It doesn't matter how deep this team is. The way Gino runs things at UConn is he's going to use maybe at most eight players. At the very most, you're not going to see him go 9-10 deep. He can if he wants to because he has that deep of a team this year, but he's not going to do it. It's just the way that he runs things. The way that he operates is seven, maybe eight players. It's not even always eight. It's maybe even as little as seven players he uses in their rotation. And that's how a lot of college basketball coaches run their system. You know, they may have 10, 11 players that they can utilize, but they're not going to use all of them. They're not going to need all of them. And even Gino said, hey, if we have some injuries, these players are going to be very important, but we're not going to be able to find playing time for every single one of them because you have the seniors in there. Williams, Nelson Adota, Westbrook, Dorky Uaz, you have Paige Beckers, you have AZ Fudd, you have... Leah Edwards, you have Nika Mila, who may even see a slight drop in minutes this year. It's just so deep a team across the board that 
a player like Sailor Poffenbarger was not going to be able to get minutes consistently. So now it's about looking at where she could end up. We've heard a lot about Oregon as a potential suitor. She's from Maryland. Maybe the Terrapins will try to recruit her a little bit. Again, very, very early. This news just came in a couple of days ago. Too early to tell who could be in the mix there. But again, it's Sailor Poffenbarger transferring from the UConn Huskies and will be finding a new college home very soon. The NCAA announced Wednesday that the women's basketball tournament will move to a 68-team field, up from 64, starting this season. In addition, the women's selection show will be Sunday, March 13th on ESPN. The show had been on Mondays since 2006, but it moves back to Sunday to accommodate the extra games, which will be played March 16th and 17th. The last four at-large teams and teams seeded 65 through 68 will compete in the opening round games prior to the start of the first and second rounds, which begin March 18th and 19th. The top 16 seeds will host first and second round games. For the 2022 tournament, the four new opening round games will be held at four of those 16 sites. Starting in 2023, the opening round will be held at a neutral site that is to be determined. Huge news with women's college basketball here. Just another step in moving this tournament forward and having some equality when you're looking at the men's tournament and the women's tournament. There's been a concerted effort from the NCAA ever since everything with the last tournament in that bubble was exposed with the weight room stuff to make it more even, to make it equal on both sides. That's why they're going to use March Madness branding for the women's tournament. They announced that a couple of months ago. That's why they've now announced that they're going to move this field to 68 to give a couple more teams an opportunity to play in this tournament. They're moving the selection show to Sunday. And Yes, it's to accommodate the extra games, but it's also going to be good to see it on the same day as the men's selection show. For it to be Selection Sunday as well, that's going to be very exciting. Just to see just to see that inequality gap closing is very exciting for women's college basketball because this tournament deserves more coverage. This tournament deserves more recognition. And because you have great players and great teams in this tournament every single year, exciting moments. This is March Madness as well. And we love the men's tournament. We love everything that it provides. But this women's tournament is something that not enough people have recognized over the years and watched over the years. Now, viewership is going up. Things are progressing, but there's still so much more work to do. And this move is a part of that. With the March Madness branding, moving the field to 68 in the future, holding the men's Final Four and the women's Final Four in the same location is also something that's going to bring things together a lot more as well. So some big news coming from the NCAA announcing that the women's basketball tournament will move to a 68-team field starting this season. Now let's go over and talk about some top 25 scores from the last week, starting with a game on Friday the 12th with number 11 Arizona and number 10 Louisville. Wildcats defeating the Cardinals in overtime in this game 61-59. to For Arizona, Kate Reese led the way with 21 points. Benduyani added 12 as well. For Louisville, Haley Van Lith and Chelsea Hall paced the Cardinals with 19 and 12 points respectively. On Sunday the 14th, we had two big games across the country. Number 12 Texas, 61-56 over number 7 Stanford. Number 4 Indiana, 88-67 over number 19 Kentucky. For the Texas Longhorns in the win over the Stanford Cardinal, freshman Roy Harmon had 21 points and 5 rebounds to lead the way. For Stanford, Lexi Hall and Haley Jones had 16 
and 15 points apiece. The Cardinal turned the ball over 20 times and hit only four of 27 three-point shots. For Indiana in their win over the Kentucky Wildcats, Mackenzie Holmes, monster game, 29 points to lead the way. Grish Berger, 19. Ali Patberg, 16 points. For Kentucky, Ryan Howard led the way with 23 points. Jada Walker added 16 as well. On Monday, the 15th, number 16, Tennessee, got a 52-49 win over number 23, South Florida. Leading the Lady Vols was Jordan Horston. She had 24 points on the game. Tamari Key had a double-double with 10 points and 10 rebounds. And on Wednesday, the 17th, top-ranked South Carolina got a 76-45 win over the Clemson Tigers. Destiny Henderson led the way with 16 points. Zaya Cook and Aaliyah Boston added 13 and 11, respectively. So those five games from Friday all the way through Wednesday, very exciting, very compelling across the board. Starting with the Arizona-Louisville game, two teams that do not play often, Arizona and Louisville, two of the best teams in the nation. Arizona went to the national championship game last season, just came up short against Stanford. They lost some pieces, including Aaron McDonald. But you bring back a player like Kate Reese, who was really more like their third player last year, now is their first option. Ben Duyaney was a starter on last year's team. She has stepped up into an even bigger role. Louisville has a really good team as well. Haley Van Lith is one of the best guards in the country. Sophomore out of Washington. Chelsea Hall, a transfer from Vanderbilt. You have Olivia Cochran on the inside. You have Emily Angsler, transfer from Syracuse. Jeff Walls has a really good team. They're going to be one of the best in the ACC all season long. Just came up short there against Arizona. And nothing that they did in that game that really caused them to lose, like bad turnovers or poor shooting. Just Arizona had a little bit more there late. Stanford, we mentioned that they had 20 turnovers there against Texas, only four of 27 from three. They still had a chance to win. And we talked about this in the men's segment with Michigan and with Illinois, that even though they played poorly, they still had a chance to win. Texas just had a little bit more. And Roy Harmon, 21 points, five rebounds to play at that high of a level against that type of opponent as a freshman is a great sign for Vic Schaefer and this team. She's already their lead guard as a true freshman coming in. And she played like an experienced veteran in that game. And Texas is a team over the years that has not been able to secure wins like this. In the big moments, they have floundered. They have not been able to come through. I think this team is different. They were at number 25 in the poll. Now they're all the way up to number 12 because they beat this Stanford team when they were number three. I love where this team's going. And this Big 12 is more wide open this year. Baylor's still a top 10 team. They still are right now the best team in the conference, but Texas is going to be right there. This is not the Baylor team of the last couple of years. It's a very good Baylor team, and you still have a lot of good players like Melissa Smith and Queen Egbo, Sarah Andrews, etc., but Texas is going to be right there in the running. They are very even, I think, with Baylor right now. So Texas, definitely a team to watch, definitely a team to keep your eye on. Indiana has their highest rank in school history at number four in the poll. Very deep team across the board. Mackenzie Holmes, again, leading the way there with 29. Tennessee and South Carolina, again, getting wins there as well. So that is a look at women's college basketball. A lot of really exciting games over the last week. A lot of exciting games coming up as well. Now let's wrap up our show with Lenore Ryan Sports. We're going to start by talking about the Lenore Ryan football team. They rolled to a 56-3 win over Catawba in the regular season finale Saturday at Moretz Stadium in the team's 100th all-time meeting. The Bears got things going early with an 8-play, 75-yard drive capped by a Grayson Willingham touchdown pass to Keelan Parsons from 23 yards out. Eric Jackson forced a Catawba fumble on the Indians' opening drive, leading to a DeAndre Lester 13-yard touchdown run to make the score 14 to nothing. The Bears would end the first quarter up 
21-0 and went into the halftime break, leading 42-3. Quarterback Christian Wellingham completed 20 of 29 passes for 246 yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Running back Dwayne McGee rushed for 206 yards on 26 carries. With that effort, he finishes the regular season with 1,594 yards on the ground, the new all-time single-season rushing record. He surpasses Leonard Davis's 1,559 yards set in 1994. LR has now won five straight games, outscoring opponents 247-32 to over that span. The Bears have now won 16 consecutive regular season home games, with their last loss coming on November 4th, 2017. The Bears finished the regular season at 8-2 overall and 6-2 in the South Atlantic Conference. LR has earned a spot in the NCAA Division II playoffs, where they will travel to Bowie, Maryland to face second-seeded Bowie State on Saturday at 1 p.m. The 10th-ranked Bulldogs enter the contest at 10-1 overall and 7-0 in CIAA conference play. They have not lost since the season opener on September the 4th when they fell 32-24 to Delaware State. They are averaging 35 points per game and are allowing only 13 points to opponents. Some players to watch for Bowie State, quarterback Jerome Johnson, 1,750 yards and 20 touchdowns passing on the season to only eight interceptions. Running back Khalil Watkins has rushed for a total of 1,106 yards and eight touchdowns on the season as well. The winner of this game will face the winner of three-seed West Florida and Newberry. So again, a lot there with Lenoran football. Dominant win there in the season finale, 56-3 over Catawba. There was no question coming in if LR was going to win that game or not. LR is just rolling right now. They have so much momentum. We mentioned that they've won five straight games, outscoring opponents 247-32 to over that time. Quarterback Grayson Willingham, running back Dwayne McGee. The way those two are playing, Willingham efficient from the pocket, 20 of 29, 246 and three TDs in that game. All season, he's put up those type of numbers. All season, he's been steady and consistent, and that's all you can ask of your quarterback. And he is so experienced. He's been in this program for so long. No surprise to see him playing the way he's playing right now. Dwayne McGee has been a revelation this whole season as a freshman. 206 yards and 26 carries in that game. Just under 1,600 yards on the season. Just absolutely exceeded expectations this year. And he's one of the reasons why LR has been so dominant. They have the pass game. Grayson Willingham spreading the ball around to guys like DeAndre Lester and Keelan Parsons. The pass game is there. And we knew it was going to be there coming into the season. But one thing that's allowed them to be so dominant, especially over the last five games, has been the play of Dwayne McGee. Game in and game out. Consistently bringing it, running the football. And he's a guy that they're really going to have to utilize in this road game at Bowie State. Bowie State, we mentioned, is averaging 35 points each game. And they're only allowing 13 points to their opponents. So what LR is going to have to do is really try to run the clock, try to control the clock, utilize Dwayne McGee, but also get Grayson Willingham going, spread the ball around to those playmakers. And this LR defense, which has been playing so well, especially over the last five weeks, has got to hold down Khalil Watkins, who's an 1,000-yard rusher. Jerome Johnson has been very solid. His stats aren't mind-blowing, but He's steady. He's consistent. He's one of those guys that you know is not going to make that many mistakes. So LR is going to have to get consistent pass rush. They're going to have to really lock guys up in the secondary. And their run defense has to be consistent because what makes this team so good is kind of what makes LR so good. Consistency in the pass game and on a lot of nights, dominance in the rushing department. So this is going to be a very interesting playoff game. This is going to be very interesting to see how LR comes out and responds on the road. If there's a team that can upset right now that is going on the road, it is Lenorine. The way that they're playing, the confidence that they have, 
And since those early losses in conference play, they have just been a team on a mission, right? So definitely expect a great effort from them coming up against Bowie State again in the playoffs. And the winner of that game will take on West Florida and South Carolina Conference member Newberry. The Lenoran men's basketball team opened the regular season last Friday, where they fell to Emmanuel College of Georgia 80-65 to in the South Carolina Conference Peach Belt crossover. Three players scored in double figures for the Bears. Tim Steele led the charge with 13 points for the night. Jalen Johnson and Kevin Kangu added 11 and 10 respectively. Saturday night, LR took on Young Harris and got the win 94 to 86. Jalen Johnson went off in this game, scoring 34 points in 31 minutes of action. Kevin Kangu and Nas Tyson combined for another 29 points. This win was the 1400th in Lenoran men's basketball history, making LR one of only 30 Division II programs to reach that milestone. And Wednesday night, the Bears faced off with South Atlanta Conference rival Winget and got their second straight win 75 to 70 at Shuford Memorial Gymnasium. Kevin Kangu led four players in double figures for the Bears, scoring 20 points. Jalen Johnson added 16, Cooper Fowler and Tyson McLean added 10 apiece. The Bears are 2-1 and one overall and 1-0 and oh in conference play. The Lenoran women's basketball team opened the 2021 season with a pair of games at Shuford Memorial Gymnasium as part of the South Atlantic Conference Peach Belt crossover. The Bears took down USC Aiken on Saturday afternoon, 68-62. Emily Harmon notched a double-double, scoring 20 points and grabbing 12 rebounds. Sunday, LR fell to third-ranked Lander, 67-55. Emily Harmon again led the way for the Bears, scoring 14 points. Brandy Hudson and Maddie Dillinger were also in double figures, scoring 11 and 10 points each. Wednesday evening, the Bears took on rival Wingett and fell in overtime 71-68. Brianna Troutman led Wingett in scoring with 26 points for the night. Emily Harmon scored 18 to lead the Bears' scoring effort. Brandy Hudson and Maddie Dillinger added another 28 points combined. With the loss, the Bears fall to 1-2 overall and 0-1 in South Atlantic Conference play. So again, the LR men's and women's basketball teams getting their season started. The LR men, tough game against Emmanuel in that opening night game, but they came back against Young Harris and just played outstanding particularly Jalen Johnson, 34 points in 31 minutes. The way that he played, the scores mentality that he brought into that matchup was absolutely huge. And he is the reason that LR got that win. Kangu and Tyson adding another 29. Those three were really the ones providing the scoring and the offense for LR in that game. And the way they carried it over to Wednesday and getting that win over Wingett, very impressive. Again, Kangu with 20, Johnson with 16, and good contributions from Cooper Fowler and Tyson McLean, again with 10 points apiece. That's the type of balanced scoring effort that you're going to need to win games over the course of the season. So the LR men playing very well. I like the effort from the LR women as well. They're 1-2, and two, and they've lost two straight since that win against USC Aiken. But we're talking about a third-ranked Lander team that went to the Final Four last year. Very tough to come in and beat a team like that. They only lost by 12. Great effort from the Bears. Emily Harmon has been their best player. 20-12 and 12 against USC Aiken, 14 against Lander, 18 against Wingett. They're going to need her every single game to play consistent and play that way. And you have a couple of players. We mentioned Brandy Hudson and Maddie Dillinger that are adding some extra scoring. They're just going to need a little bit more of it late in games. These two losses have been close. By 12 to Lander, 
only by three in overtime to wing it. I think this team will get things going. I really do. And I think they're going to get a streak going. They have a couple of exhibition games coming up. Once they get back into D2 play, I think they'll start to get some wins. I think they'll start to play very consistent basketball. So that's what's going on with LR men's and women's basketball. And finally, Lenorine swimming. The Lenorine men's swimming team fell to Catawba and fourth-ranked Wingate last Friday at the Wingate Try Me. Individually, however, Jacob Green, Micah McRae, and Spencer Ashby all won two events. Green got his win in the 200 free and the 200 back. McRae won in the 200 IM and the 500 free. Ashby won in the 50 free and the 100 free. The Bears next compete at the Queens Fall Frenzy this weekend. The Lenorine women's swimming team came away with a split at the Catawba Tri Meet last Saturday, defeating the host school 117 to 80, and then falling to number two wing at 142 to 60. Lisa Bornigan and Kimberly Scheiber both won events. Bornigan in the 200 free with a time of 156, and Scheiber in the 200 IM with a time of 213. The Bears next compete at the Queens Fall Frenzy coming up this weekend. Very good to see for the LR men's and women's swimming teams, the effort that they're bringing and the finishes that they're posting as a team. And when you look at the individual aspect, things are just going very well for these two programs right now. And I'm very excited to see what they can do at the Queens Fall Frenzy. Again, coming up this weekend, we'll have all of the results from that event coming up on next week's episode of College Sports Today. And this has been episode three of College Sports Today here on WLRZ 99.3 FM. We again, thank you so very much for joining us this week. We'll hope you join us again coming up very soon. I'm Hamilton Nail signing off. I'll see you then.